think my prayer today, God, is the same as last week. For us to understand the merciful, wonderful majesty of your love. To understand what it meant for you to come and live and to die and to bear shame and wounds and pain and stripes to put yourself on a cross. I pray you break our hearts for the things that break your heart. I pray that we would feel the weight of our sin, that we would feel the weight of our brokenness so we can actually experience the freedom that only you possess. So this morning I ask that you convict us, that you change us. I ask that we would be humble today, that we would have a posture of humility, that we would all together desire for you to be lifted high, for you to be king. We pray that everything that happens in this room this morning is for your glory, for your name, and that someone new today recognizes that. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples? If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You're going to have a seat. I'd like to invite up Melissa and Tate. They're going to read for us this morning. Melissa, have you go first. That's okay. You need the page number on the screen. Is that all right? Good morning. We're turning to John 13 this morning. That's page 1067 in your pew Bibles. Um, I'll read first in English, and then Tate's going to read in us for the passage for us in Spanish. Um, we're going to begin at verse 18. Remember that um, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and now they are reclining um, at the table. John is sitting to his right, Judas possibly to his left in the seat of honor. The title is Jesus Predicts His Betrayal. Verse 18, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. He testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple who Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and he asked him, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. 
Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Ahora yo lo voy a leer en español. Está en página 926. Jesús predice la traición de Judas. No me refiero a todos ustedes. Yo sé a quienes he escogido, pero esto es para que se cumpla la escritura. El que comparte el pan conmigo me ha puesto la sancandía. Les digo esto ahora, antes de que suceda, para que cuando suceda, crean que yo soy. Ciertamente les aseguro que el que recibe al que yo envío, me recibe a mí, y el que me recibe a mí, recibe al que me envió. Dicho eso, Jesús se angustió profundamente y declaró, Ciertamente les aseguro que uno de ustedes me va a traicionar. Los discípulos se miraban unos a otros sin saber a cuál de ellos se refería. Unos de ellos, el discípulo a quien Jesús amaba, estaba a su lado. Simón Pedro le hizo señas a ese discípulo y le dijo, Pregúntele a quién se refiere. Señor, ¿quién es? Preguntó él, reclinándose sobre Jesús. Aquel a quien yo le dé este pedazo de pan que voy a mojar en el plato. Le contestó Jesús, acto seguido, mojó el pedazo de pan y se lo dio a Judas Iscariote, hijo de Simón. Tan pronto como Judas tomó el pan, Satanás entró en él. Lo que vas a hacer, hazlo pronto, le dijo Jesús. Ninguno de los que estaban a la mesa entendió por qué le dijo eso Jesús. Como Judas era el encargado del dinero, algunos pensaron que Jesús estaba diciendo que comprara lo necesario para la fiesta o que diera algo a los pobres. En cuanto Judas tomó el pan, salió de ahí. Ya era de noche. People of God, the word of God. Right, in the moment we're going to get in today, so last week we talked about pride. This week we're talking about betrayal. There's some big things that need to be confessed in the upper room. Uh, before we get into it, though, I do want to, so um, I want to, again, connect confession and blessing. So confess and bless. I think, uh, I think we're going to be a people of blessing. We're going to keep talking about this. So one of the books I've been really appreciating is this book right here. It's called Confession, uh, Doorway to Forgiveness. And in it, the author is essentially trying to say that people have abandoned this, set, this important sacrament of confession, and he's trying to bring it back. So that's kind of what we're doing. But there's a great story in here about uh, a priest who said, uh, talks about what it looks like when he has kids come to make confession. This is what he said. So as a priest who hears many confessions, I find, nope, that's the wrong one. Yeah, it is. Nope, wrong one. Sorry. But when a child comes to confession... Usually he brings either on a piece of paper or by memory a long or a short list of sins. And when they're finished, I always say things like, are these the things that break your heart? 
Are these the things that you feel are wrong? Did you write this list yourself? And most of the time, the answer is no. My mother gave me this list because this makes her cross. So he has to go in and kind of explain to these children, I'm not, I don't want you to confess the things that you think people think you need to confess. I want you to confess the things that you know you need to confess. And so there can be rules and laws and ideas of what we think we're supposed to say. And the hope in this series is not that you're going to say those kinds of things. We're hoping the Lord breaks our hearts, which is why I've been using Psalm 139 each week. I'll say it again. Psalm 139 begins with David saying, God, you know everything. You know everything. He talks about life. He says, because you know everything, because I'm glad that you are God, he says, search me. Know me. He invites the search. He says, show me if there's anything in me that is offensive. If there's anything that causes me to sin. And what, what, what is the greatest commandment? Love God, love people. If there's anything in me that's keeping me from loving you or keeping me from loving others, would you show me? I want to know. That is what we hope happens in this series, that we would know what keeps us from loving God and we know what keeps us from loving each other so that, purpose clause, we can bless one another, that we can see one another, know one another, and love one another. And the idea, the hope, is that we get to a place where we can say these things. But I recognize this could be a process. So for someone to feel seen, you have to have given them your attention. It might take a while to give them attention before they let you know who they are so you can ask good questions to know how to then bless and love them. So I would just say this, as we're starting this, the easiest place to learn to bless, I think, I hope we do it in lots of places, but it's with people that you already know. And then be looking for new people to know. But I was doing my list this morning and I recognize I have opportunity in my house every day to bless my wife and to bless my children, to bless my coworkers. That is the place where it's the easiest for me to practice this. And over time, I'm praying I become more bold and I learn to pay better attention so I can see people, so I can then know who they are and find ways to love them in Jesus' name. So that's the hope for the series. And so we're trying to find all the things that would keep us from seeing and knowing and loving people. And in the upper room, we find these are big things. These are not the symptoms. These are not like the expressions of uh, like specific sins or specific ways of hurting people. This is what's underneath all of it. And so today we're going to look at Judas. Next week, Peter. And the reason is, it's interesting, in John 12, there's a foot washing. In John 13, there's a foot washing. And the response of two people, do, they, they do not like the foot washing, Judas and Peter, and it causes them to make decisions that in, incite all kinds of, of pain. So as I've gotten into this, this time, though, I guess, so I actually had this thought just now. Uh, for the last couple weeks, I have seen Judas. He's had my attention. I've been wanting to know Judas. I've been asking lots of questions because I think that we all have experienced what Judas has done. Either we've done it or it's been done to us. And I want to know how to love people who are in the midst of betrayal. So as I've explored, 
We're going to be in, we conclude in John 13, but I actually want to go back to John 2. Because something interesting happens there, and that's where I got my sentence for today. So if you want, you can turn back. I'll tell you the page number here in just a moment. John 2 is on page 1051. John does something really unique in his gospel. Uh, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus clears the temple at the end. John, for some reason, puts it at the beginning. Some people think there were two different cleansings. I'm inclined to believe he put it there on purpose. There was one time that Jesus went to the temple to flip tables and to uh, uh, incite the anger of the religious system, but John's putting it at the beginning for a reason. And so I think as he's saying, what I'm about to show you and tell you, this story is how Jesus is reframing everything, but he, it begins with a moment where Jesus says, the current system is broken. So Jesus comes into the temple. He's been there many times, and he flips everything. You know what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just flip tables to flip tables. He flips tables to make new tables. He, 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 ups, he upsets everything to make a new thing. He doesn't leave it in shambles. But in verse 17, as his disciples reflect on what Jesus did, it says this, John 2, 17. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now that is Psalm 69, 9. We're going to come back to it. Can I have my sentence for today? I'm bouncing a little bit. Slide six. Misguided zeal invites betrayal. Okay? So over and over and over in John's gospel, he tells us Judas is the betrayer, which is kind of weird if you think about it, because isn't that obvious? Duh. Judas is the betrayer. But John reminds us over and over and over again, which we'll talk about next week, so come back. There's a reason why he has to make sure we know Judas is the betrayer. There's a reason it has to do with Peter. But after he has flipped the tables, people are pumped. So verse 23. So he's in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Many people see the signs. They've seen him clear the temple, and they are believing in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knows all people. He did not need our testimony about him because he knows what's in a person. So I didn't realize this, but there would have been people in Jesus' day after he died that would point to Judas and say, hey, look, Jesus is not God because his best friend betrayed him. One of his best friends betrayed him. God would not let that happen. God would not let somebody betray him and not know about it. So John does this beautiful job of throughout the gospel reminding you that Jesus knows what's going on because Jesus is God. So he says, Jesus knows. He knows what's, what, is, what, is with, what is within us. All right? So let's go to Judas. As I've explored Judas, I've just been asking questions of him. I don't understand his decisions. I don't understand why he did what he did. So my first question as I approached the text was this. Give me slide eight. What precedes betrayal? Unless you're a spy, you don't start a relationship thinking, I cannot wait to screw this person over. I cannot wait to betray them. I can't wait to disappoint them. That's not how you start relationships, right? When you begin a relationship, what are you? 
you're super excited. Right? With a really good friend, Judas, like all disciples, left everything for him. Judas, I would think, has to be pumped. John 2, he's watching him overturn the system. He's got zeal, zeal for God's house, consumes him. Judas is like, yes, this is the guy I've been waiting for. So what led Judas to betray Jesus? Knowing that God knows all things, but also taking into account Judas' humanity, right? What led Judas to betray Jesus? Well, a couple things here. Judas, they believe, many, many theologians say he was a zealot. So there were two zealots, probably, in Jesus' 12. Simon the zealot and Judas, a man from Karyote, Judas Iscariot. Karyote was a place where lots of zealots lived. Well, what's a zealot? Well, a zealot has zeal. Psalm 69.9. Zealots, um, uh, their, their favorite Bible stories, zealot, is Elijah. I don't know if you know who Elijah is, but he has got a lot to say, and he's got fire. He is hot. One of the other favorite stories was about a man named Phineas. And there's a story in the Old Testament where people are doing all kinds of immoral acts, and they're doing it in the temple. And Phineas is so zealous, he takes a spear and he puts it through two people. He is zealous for the house of the Lord. The zealots were one of several Jewish groups of the day. There were the Sadducees, the power brokers. There were the Pharisees, which we know. There were the Essenes who essentially said, we think the world is messed up and we're actually going to leave and we're going to create our own compound and we're going to focus on God. And then there were the Herodians. Herodians love the culture. But then there were the Zealots. And the Zealots had zeal for the Lord's house. The Zealots had what you would call chutzpah. They were faithful. They were fire. And they were trying to make things right. And the Zealots had a long-standing feud, we'll call it, with the Romans. So there's stories of a small zealot band fighting back 35,000 Romans. There's stories of the Romans then coming and killing a bunch of zealots and a bunch of different Jews, and they put them on crosses all outside Jerusalem. So this zealot group comes back to fight again, and they actually have worked to a place where the Romans have to surrender, and there's a peace treaty. And as they come out of the city, the zealots destroy all those Romans. So then the Romans, uh, they go to where the zealots live. They live in caves and they light fires on the ground. So smoke goes up into the caves and they put ladders against the walls. And as these zealots who are enemies come out, they have long pitchforks and they throw them off the cliff as they come out. So these zealots, these zealots do not like the current system. And they're the kind of people that while everyone else would like to do things to the Romans, would like to do things to the religious leaders of the day, they don't, but they sure do like that the zealots do. They're doing what we all wish we could do. Just imagine in our day, if we knew, so some people would see them as terrorists. If we saw someone do something horrible, and they got what was coming, how do I feel? How would you feel? 
the zealots have lots of sympathizers. They'll do the things no one else will do. And Judas, many believe, would be from a place where they were zealots, making him a zealot within Jesus' 12. Which also begs the question, so we need these kinds of people. We need people with this kind of passion and fire. It's a good thing. But back to the sentence. Misguided zeal invites betrayal. So Judas, if I'm, I'm looking at, at the story, how, how did he get to the place where he would betray Jesus? Well, he saw Jesus clear the temple. That's something a zealot would want to do. And he's in, and he gets invited in. But you keep moving through the story, and I wonder how Judas was feeling about many things. John 4, Jesus brings in a Samaritan woman. People who are not supposed to be a part of the people of God are invited into the people of God. I wonder how that sat. Then Jesus heals an official's son in, uh, let's see, John 4, 43. Many officials were, he would have been an official to King Herod, who a zealot would not like. Why are we healing those kinds of people? Why are we doing these kinds of things? I imagine, I'm just playing the story a little bit, what is going through his mind? I thought you were, had zeal. Why are we doing these kinds of things? That doesn't make sense with how I would think the Messiah would act and be. In John 6, then, Jesus has this moment, because he probably senses some of the things people are feeling, where he, he tests his disciples. He gives a hard teaching about, you have, to, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. What? It's in John 6. People are like, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. So a lot of people leave, but not Judas. He's still one of the 12. But it says here, again, John is again letting people know Jesus is in control. John 6, 70. Have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, says John, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the 12 was later to betray him. Again, he's saying, so what is going on inside of Judas? So next, give me a slide. I have more questions I've been asking. Slide nine. So many, there are, there are several commentaries and theologians who think Judas was trying to manipulate Jesus. No, I need you to become the king I want you to be. Can you give me, actually, give me the picture from slide seven. So if you can see, I don't know if you can see very well, this is a, a, a depiction of Jesus washing disciples' feet. That's supposed to be Simon Peter. If I got it right, the author, or the, not author, the person who made it, the person with their hands on their head was meant to be Judas. What are you doing, Jesus? This is not the kind of king that you're supposed to be. The king I have, I have thought, I have foreseen, is overthrowing Rome, is changing everything. This is your kingdom? That's different. And a final thought. Uh, give me the slide nine again. So interesting to me, there's two zealots inside of the 12. 
two people with this worldview in mind. Simon, they believe in church history, goes on to plant churches and goes on to be martyred in Jesus' name. Judas, betrayed for who knows what reason, for sure, doesn't say in the text. Could be lots of reasons. Jesus. And it comes back to, last week, the foot washing. Do you give me the picture one more time? Number seven. So look at Peter and look at the other disciple on the left. What is he doing? He's taking off his shoes. Foot washing was a sign of preparation. You're ready. You're ready for this kind of kingdom. You're ready for the way Jesus wants to live. You're ready to see, know, and love people. Decision is here, I don't like this, or okay. So two zealots, same group. One, over time, prepared himself to be ready and was willing to take off his shoes to understand the way that Jesus wants to live. The other could not. Misguided zeal, misguided passion, misguided excitement, misguided focus leads to betrayal. So this can look, there's lots of different ways this could look in our life. But the bottom line is, can I accept, can I receive this way of living from Jesus? Will I make myself less so he can become more? Will I choose, back to our blessing, to see people this week? Will I choose to know people this week? Do I even want to love people this week? So instead of working through examples, I thought I'd tell a story, which I think speaks to what it's like when, when we act the way Judas acted. It speaks to what it feels like when someone does it to us. And it also speaks to the world that we live in currently. So I was listening last week, Monday. I was uh, taking our dog to get groomed, which is hard to do because it's hard to find a groomer. And I was sitting listening to a sermon. It was my favorite pastor's, and he was doing a sermon on zeal. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was going to have the day and just relax, and I thought I was listening to a sermon. I was like, zeal? No way. Who talks about zeal? And he said, you know, I, he, he said, I was preparing my message, and I thought, I seem to get away. I'm going to watch a movie that has nothing to do with zeal of any kind. And I'm going to say this. I have never seen this movie, but I've asked some people who have, and I think I got it right. He decided to watch the movie Third Encounter, First Encounter of the Third Kind, First Encounter of the Third Kind. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. There it is. <laughs> Old movie. And he said, there's no way this has to do with zeal. He said, oh, it has to do with zeal. So what happens in this movie? It begins with a man, Richard Dreyfus, who's also in Jaws, I think, has a family. And he has a bustling house. They're around a the table. They're actually watching, I was told, the old uh, 
Ten Commandments movie with Charleston Heston? Yes. And it's old, hey, I'm learning here today. And so that, that's how the movie begins. They're watching this. It's wild. They have kids. Like, it's life. The life that we live. Life. But then the dad has this encounter with something. And as the movie progresses, he becomes so fixated, so zealous, so passionate about this thing that he thinks he found, he just starts discarding his family over and over and over. You watch the children. You watch his family, I guess, cry, Dad. Like, they have lost him. Movie concludes. There's two cuts. One, he's staring up at the night sky. The second one is he has a decision to make. Will I leave everything behind? and go chase this thing, or do I stay? He chooses to leave everything behind to chase this thing that he's become zealous for. Now there's this, in Hollywood, people say that Steven Spielberg has said, if he could go back, he would change the ending. He would not leave his family. Because he had a family then, later, had children, shared life. And he wishes that was not the ending to this iconic film. But as I was researching this, Richard Dreyfus had a very different opinion. He said, with all due respect, Steven Spielberg, no. The movie is all about being childlike and pursuing your passions, not letting anything get in the way of the thing that you think you're most passionate about. Don't let anything get in your way. You chase that thing, even if it means leaving your family, even if it means betraying your relationships. Don't change the ending. That's the world we live in. You do you. Do what you want. If it doesn't feel good, redefine good. Be true to yourself. Who cares? We are creating a culture of betrayal. Because we think the thing that we do is more important than who we live in and who we live with. So I had this thought last service. I think we've all experienced betrayal. But I was thinking about Judas again if he had an idea of what God was supposed to do, who, who Jesus was supposed to be, and Jesus was different, do you think he felt betrayed by God? His plan wasn't right. So I had the thought, though. We'll all have moments. It, God, that does not make sense. Can we trust him? So a really wise man came in to talk to me about week one, the prodigal son. And he opened my eyes to the story, to a new thought on the same story. And he said, have you ever thought about the period of time, essentially, when the son has left to when he returns? What does the father do? 
he fattens the calf. You think about that? I don't know what it takes to fatten the calf, but he did. He said it's diligent, diligent food. It's thinking about this is a calf for a special occasion. That doesn't just happen. You have to be getting ready, hoping that you get to eat that fattened calf. Because if you think about the story in our life, there are many of us who have had moments like this or we have been betrayed and we do not know the outcome. But what he said to me was, the Lord invited him to fatten the calf. Trust me. You make sure your heart is ready. You make sure you're prepared. So I was challenging me. When you have been betrayed, when you have felt betrayed, remember the relationship began in a place and has ended in a new place. There is so much hurt. There is so much pain. But we believe in a God who even though we have done that to him, he fattens the calf. And he is waiting for our return. And I think he says, we get to do the same thing. The foot washing, what does it signify? Are you ready for this kind of kingdom? Are you ready to live this way? Are you ready for humility? Are you ready for sacrifice? Because if you are, actually that sacrifice and that humility will lead to the best kind of life you could ever imagine. You'll have peace that transcends understanding. You'll have perspective that no one can grasp. You'll live in such a way where people will say, I don't understand how you are doing what you're doing. Tell me. Share that with me. But we have to be ready. But it's just a caution. Misguided zeal. Thinking about that thing instead of everything else will destroy everything else. So I think the invitation today for us as we come forward to receive communion here in worship, are we zealous for the right things? Are we passionate about the things that are actually life-giving? So we've been inviting everyone, a one-word confession. And I'm going to say what someone said to me. If I'm willing to say it out loud, I want to break it. I want it to end. So we are all invited. Here in a moment, as we worship, Lord, would you, I'm going to pray this, would you bring to mind the ways that my zeal has not been for your house. It's been for my own house. It's been for what I want, my kingdom, my queendom, my world. Show me, search me, know me, so I can bring it to you, so I can have zeal for your house. Because Jesus, as he threw those tables, he was making a way for everybody. Whoever wanted to come, if you wanted to come, if you wanted to repent, if you wanted to change, come. And Judas, my opinion, couldn't get there. And it led to his destruction. Whereas if we can get there, it's a path to life.
not just for me and not just for you, but for everyone that we know. And then we'd go share that. Isn't that exciting? Let's pray. So God, I do, I ask that uh, if we're comfortable or not, we, I just pray that we'd have, there would be a spirit of just of confession here in the room. You are, you are digging at what's way below. So would you bring to mind what's below so we can bring it out of the darkness and into the light to be seen by you? Because we know that even as we bring it to the light to you, conviction is hard, but somehow as we're convicted, we'll feel loved by you. Help us to become people who can see you, know you, love you, so that we can see each other, know each other, and love each other.